Welcome to Liberty's Live. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nancy. And, and we, we are, are the globalist's worst nightmare. We're homeschooling Christian mothers, and we are doing our part to build the kingdom of God on the earth by bringing liberty and responsibility home. We're so glad you're here. Hello, Nancy. Hi. Welcome to Liberties Live. Today on this podcast, we're going to talk about the concept that communism is peer attachment. We just love being controversial. Who wants to join us? <laughs> and also peer attachment is a problem, if you didn't know that. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the structure, especially in our country, the way that we run our education system a little bit too. Um, and, and just the way that we relate to each other in our families. The last episode, we talked a little bit about selfishness and our relationship with our family members and our children and stuff. And to, you know, what is due our children? What is due us in that relationship and relationship in society? The core of, of what a society creates really comes down to what's happening in the family relationships and between parents and children, especially. And I think too, it speaks to this idea, you know, in, in the core phase, in the phase from about zero to eight, the, the develop, those fundamental identity developing years, the question it, to be answered is to whom have you given your allegiance? So the, the question of allegiance is a, is a family question. It is answered on the family level and it is expressed at the national level and at government levels. You know, like we can ask the question to whom have we given our allegiance and we can see the answers in what we do and where we spend our time and how we spend our money um, and what form of government we choose. So I, I propose that Communism is attachment to peers in an unhealthy way that is ultimately unsustainable and is destructive of um, healthy adulting, healthy growing up, healthy development of the individual and the society at whole. So boom so let's talk about what attachment is in in the first place maybe this is a new idea it was new to me in the last couple of years um i think my parents talked about it a little bit i think my mom had read about it in her early days in, as a parent and my one of my friends said oh do you feel like you're attached to her and i was like That's a, she asked that about my second daughter and i was like it's a weird question i had never heard that idea before um so anyway, what, yeah, what's attachment? Let's define it. Define the terms. So a healthy attachment, um, one of the books that I enjoyed on this topic was written by Gordon Neufeld. It's called Hold On To Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers or something like that was the tagline, but it's Hold On To Your Kids. And a healthy attachment means basically that, especially in those formative years, even younger than eight, we're talking more like zero to two or three, you know? or maybe up till five, but like those early years, that child's needs are met very quickly. 
and that they grow in confidence that they're really taken care of and that they are loved. And there's a lot of research that's been done on other countries like the Romanian orphanages are just the saddest example and lesson for all of us on the importance of physical love. Like we, we have to have physical touch to love, which is so interesting when you think about this six feet apart, you know, being outside of people's energetic fields. <laughs> right. And our, like our heart, the energy of just our hearts can project like six feet in a radius. And we are now forbidden from entering that zone. Right. And so, so this is like death to a society. It's death to little babies and orphanages, you know, and they've, they've done other research that you can look into um, on primates and, and just other, you know, sort of social observations, but babies who are not held and, and loved and given attention for their needs as they need them responsively. Right. And not just, I need a diaper change, not just, I need food, but we have a need for love and that, that an affection and attention and eye contact and smiles and, you know, being adored. We need to be adored. And our babies need to be adored in order to grow properly. Yes, yes, they do. So it's worth all those sleepless nights we've been we've been enduring, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so that is what we need. And um, who can give that to a child besides a parent? I mean, I remember when I took some child development classes in my undergraduate program, there was a discussion about that and the guy, the professor who was presenting was very adamant that all of the literature said that you could basically switch out one person for another and a child could be given all of those things, you know, all the love and it could be just as fine for them. But I want to offer this idea that if there's kind of a, a non-stationary parent or caregiver then somebody can be attached to that person. You can create the attachment in the parenting situation and then take that from a child because people move. If it's done in a career situation, that's not stable. People change their jobs. They're estimating 10 to 14 times, you know, up until the time we're like 35 or something now or 40. People change their jobs all the time. Unless there's some sort of familiar a familial connection where that isn't going to be changing all the time, the parent ultimately has to be home base or the permanent caregiver. Like nobody else can serve that purpose completely. Well, and you know, so Newfeld talks about the idea that if we don't, as if we as a child don't attach to our parent, we will seek attachment in other ways. Yes. We will seek attachment from other people. And he warns that what we have in a system where we divide kids up by the year they were born and put them in a room with each other and say they need each other for socialization, what he's saying is we're creating a situation in which children are attaching to their peers mm -hmm. and expecting and hoping to get from their peers the sort of unconditional love, the sort of security, the sort of uh, environment that they actually need from their parents. Um, and that they're capable of offering that to each other. Right. But they can, um, 
you know, he says the people that we attach to are the people to whom we become like. We see those are the people that we seek to be like, right. um, and we we want their uh, sort of approbation. We want their uh, approval. We want to be like them, and when children attach to their peers, they're seeking to be like their peers. And those peers don't know anything more about be growing up and becoming a, a just adjusted, happy, productive, content, loving adult because they're not, and they haven't done that. So it's, it's this sort of blind leading the blind idea or, um, you know, that, that innocence can supplant experience. No, it can't. Hold on just one second, Nancy. I have a baby screaming. So I'm my baby needs your love. He needs my love. I'm going to bring him out. So you go ahead and keep talking about whatever and I'll be right back. Okay. Um, so this idea of, well, it's, it's funny to have a conversation with someone who's not here. Maybe I'll just read a quote from Gordon Newfeld because he's just um, very thoughtful. The key to activating maturation is to take care of the attachment needs of the child. To foster independence, we must first invite dependence. To promote individuation, we must first provide a sense of belonging and unity. To help the child separate, we must assume the responsibility for keeping the child close. We help a child let go by providing more contact and connection than he himself is seeking. When he asks for a hug, we give him a warmer one than he is giving us. We liberate children not by making them work for our love, but by letting them rest in it. We help a child face the separation involved in going to sleep or going to school by satisfying his needs for closeness. Um, and I love that, that he talks about liberating children because the idea, you know, parents, we don't, we don't bring children into our families expecting them to stay as children in our family forever. We expect that we are, we're hoping to grow we expect to have the, the relationship with them. We will always be their parent, but they won't always be a child in our home. They will someday be a child who does not live in our home. And we want them to be successful at that and happy at that and capable of turning around and providing nourishment and attachment and love and closeness and security for the next generation. Um, so, you know, how do we help a child prepare for that. It's not by pushing them away, but giving them closeness and comfort and what they need. Anyway, so we, we've talked a little bit about attachment. You have a sense for parent attachment versus peer attachment. Let's bring communism back into the story and discuss how communism could be a form of peer attachment. Right. So if somebody's needs aren't being met and they can't be, uh, by a parent, what does that look like in a society? Like, how do they reach out for their peers to provide those needs? Someone who can't provide needs uh, in line with true principles and in line with wisdom has no father. So the state becomes the new father. And this is ultimately a competition between the father of the state and God. Yep. There's no like, we, we who believe in God, we who desire a, you know, 
a harmonious existence with one another. I think at one point or another, unless we really dig down deep, we hear this idea of communism in the sort of like, it's spoken of sometimes in utopian tones of, oh, this will be so great. Everybody, everybody will work and everybody will get what they need. Everyone's needs will be met and nobody will have more than anybody else. What does that sound like? Sounds pretty nice. Doesn't sound too bad. Um, like the idea of communal effort. I love community and being with other people, you know, so we've got these sort of words commune and communism. Um, so it's, I think, is it the ism at the end that, that turns a community into a ruling class? Like, um, anyway, so let's, let's think some more about that. The communism as it is practiced is sort of a it's an angry sort of a thing right it's a you you peons at the bottom you have to rise up and claim what's yours and take back what's been stolen from you and if we're being honest i don't i don't think that one class of people should ever get to steal from other people so if that's happening in a society, we're stealing from all the children. Yeah. Well, and we're in the form of taxation and in the form of, you know, revenues needed by the state for things. Stop stealing from people. And then we won't have an angry class based system that some people feel like, wait, if they're stealing from people and those people have more than me, then I need to have more of what's being stolen that's the situation that it creates right mm -hmm. so in a way hyper capitalism and capitalism funded by taxation and corporatocracy uh paves the way for communism because it creates those intense class divisions that are that do rankle the soul they are uncomfortable they are not worth worthy or good like it's not good for there to be a ruling class that gets whatever they want as long as they can pass the right laws. Nothing acceptable about that. And we know from our efforts as citizen lobbyists how difficult it can be sometimes to be able to reach legislators when they've basically been paid off by by these lobbyists that are are paid and able to to schmooze to a higher degree. <laughs> it's like okay whoever is the highest bidder here i mean you can we can we have through through god's wisdom and grace been able to do some miraculous things and through motivating people to really speak up um but it's uh definitely a battle it feels like those who have more money own things and can control the people uh, to a greater degree well and uh you know, this kind of goes to another feature of communism in as much as you see it played out, um, at least in, in maybe in fictional ways, perhaps, but um, the idea of hyper-specialization, which we come up against mm -hmm. in, in these kind of conversations with legislators, they're not interested in what the will of the people is. 
They're not even interested in peer-reviewed science. They're not interested in the smartest people in the world doing the best research possible. None of that's meaningful to them. Oh, Nancy, that, that professor we talked to, I can never get him saying, you know, he's like, you ladies, you know the science, you're really having a, an excellent discussion because we were talking about the ludicrousy of uh, PCR testing and how they were using too many cycles uh, and, and that this was causing a problem in our state and, and holding up people's ability to like take care of themselves and move on with life. And he's like, but I just, you know, I just stay in my own lane. And it's like, you're not staying in your own lane. That's a thing with specialization. We become a factory and the aristocrats own the whole board and you're just a part of their computer chip. We're just, we're a cog in their energetic machine. We, well, yeah, yeah. And is, is that not kind of what communism is? Is the machination, the efficiency, taking human effort to the most efficient level possible and and hyper ventilating and hyper focusing on efficiency so you're mentioning efficiency reminds me of the book 12 kids and counting do you remember did you ever read that no no is that michelle duggar no it's not duggar it's um oh my gosh i'm forgetting the name are you gonna, are you gonna look it up right now i'm looking it up so it's about this family who has 12 kids and it cracks me up because the father is an efficiency expert. And, um, and so are you cheaper by the dozen? Oh yes. Not, yeah. Not 12 kids and counting. Okay. Okay. So 12, 12 kids in both scenarios, cheaper by the dozen. Cheaper by the dozen. Okay. Thank you for correcting that. So yeah. Gilbert, what's his name? Breath or something. <clears throat> Is, is the father and then the daughter writes the book. Okay, yeah, Gil, Gilbreth. Gilbreth. So that is, the father is this efficiency expert and they have a dozen kids. And it's so funny, the stories are fabulous, but he can snap his fingers and, or do his little whistle and like all the kids are there in a second. And he's taught them all of these ways to do things but it kind of, you know, hold on a second, baby. Hold like on. buttoning from the bottom up or something. Like, didn't he go through in time, which, oh, and wasn't it actually the mother who was the efficiency expert? It was him. Yeah. I think in the movie they, they changed it, but in the story, it was actually the dad because he would go and like counsel factory workers on how they could improve their efficiency and kind of coach him on that. Okay. And, but he did the same thing in his family and he they just had a great sense of humor in their family but you kind of get a sense i'm like i don't want to to ruin the surprise at the end of the book there was actually a purpose be, behind his in what seemed almost an insane desire for things to be efficient and you find that out when you read the book okay but it was based in a human uh love of his family and making the most of the time that they had together. And so when efficiency, when efficiency is approached that way from a family setting, and so it's more time to play, more time to explore, more time to develop skills and be self-reliant. I mean, yeah, that kind of efficiency makes sense. But what it's is a prioritization? 
Yeah. I would say it's also, maybe it's less about efficiency than effectiveness. It's saying we have a purpose as a family. And in order to do that well, let's not spend time on, on stuff that's less important. Yeah. But I mean, it was a game. This dude, it was, it's so fun to read that. But, but when you think about being efficient, I just, efficiency from my humanities sort of minded ways and kind of the messy creative, it's like, oh, I don't want efficiency. I want creativity and play and, and exploration. Like efficiency alone, which is kind of what uh, businesses offer in a lot of ways, um, but only efficiency is not a virtue in and of itself. Right. It has to be balanced by something else. And, and the state can't provide that something else. It doesn't have the heart behind it. <laughs> um, well, that the idea of heart, I, I think, is pretty important in this discussion, especially because we're not just what we can produce. No. And communism sort of boils people down to their productivity level and it ranks them by their ability to be productive and i'm just thinking about how inefficient every single government thing is too though like they talk about this in terms of being efficient or meeting the needs but it doesn't even do that yeah I mean, well, maybe it does. Maybe I need to, to give the devil his due. We have roads to drive on. Communism didn't provide those roads. What, what has, has been delivered that couldn't have been delivered by a private entity? I, I get more and more anarchist as time goes on and with the abuses that I see going on. I'm, yeah yeah maybe. well and and to and and to define anarchy as not chaos but without a ruler i think it's sort of the depersonalization of the of the rules i don't want to be ruled by a person because a person is fallible a person is um corruptible a person is you know a, unless they have a pure heart, unless they have love and understanding for me, they can't do that job. No. Uh, I want to be ruled by law, you know, where, where there's a sense of equality that all of us are subject to the same law. We're all, there's no one who can be above the law. And that's where we, we see, you know, the situation we have right now with, certain people get to create laws that that affect other people and not themselves mm -hmm. and so we are being ruled by men or or women but not by law so when you say law nancy like a lot of people would say that for example these mandates are are like law or that you know there are a lot of unjust laws on the books that have been okay. Is that law? Maybe people don't understand what law is. Yeah, I don't mean 
revised statutes. <laughs> I mean, let us be ruled by uh, basic principles, universal principles, true principles. And if any law that is founded on those, I can be ruled by that. Okay. And we can all be equally ruled by that and subject to that. Whereas anything that goes beyond self-evident truths, natural law, true principles of stewardship and responsibility. Um, yeah, I think, I think perverse law, oh, I have no allegiance to. <laughs> um, and law that violates those, those principles of sovereignty and individual agency and and uh responsibility and that's not the law that i'm talking about yeah good point um oh i just want to make sure that that's clear so like what are some of those what are some of those laws and how do they reflect in a communistic uh, godless sort of society in our interactions with our peers like why does that matter um how can that position us with a God or nature's God, so to speak, whether we're atheist or, or we believe that God, you know, has a body and is a man that we can communicate with, whatever our conception of God is. Well, so let's go back to this idea of, of peer attachment. If we want, if we want healthy children who can grow up and become healthy parents themselves, we have to be attached to and meeting our children's needs. And they look to us as the, their keeper. You know, am I my child's keeper? Yes, I am. I am my child's keeper. I will keep you. I will care for you. I will love you. Um, I will meet your needs in a holistic all the way around 360 sort of a way. Your needs for love, your needs for food, your needs for your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, all these things. If we, as a society, were attached to God, to nature's God, to true principles in that way, that we looked to true principles as the source of comfort, guidance, we could depend on them. Like the idea of dependence, you can't depend on another human being who doesn't actually have stewardship over you. We can depend on our parents as children because they do have stewardship over us. And we can depend on God because he does have stewardship over us. We can depend on true principles because they honor and carefully uh, assign stewardship and dependence relationships that are appropriate. Based on like what is, what it, like by virtue of sex, <laughs> the responsibility is assigned, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what communism or socialism seeks to do is ignore the looking upward to correct principles to god to a father in heaven something stable unchanging and stable. equal for all and equal for, for all exactly and instead turning to one another and it's 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 sort of filled with with competition envy contempt um greed and a, a limitedness from our parents. You know, my, my children have no idea that there's like limited, limitless fruit on the counter. 
because we we buy fruit every week for them to eat it's limitless in the you know in a teeny tiny little bit of a way the way that the sun shines every single day to grow all the food we need the dirt exists in a limitless sort of a way the water you know learning about the water cycle water doesn't go anywhere all the water that we've ever had and ever need and ever will need already exists on the earth and is constantly being cycled through vapor, rain, snow, you know, groundwater, vapor, rain, snow, groundwater. It doesn't go anywhere. It never leaves. It stays. So that sort of, you know, mother earth unchanging, you can rely on it, um, you know, cyclical, but constant. Um, Anyway, so we go from depending on something as flowing as, as Mother Earth's breast and as generous as the, our giving Father in Heaven to depending on one another who are mortal, who are weak, who are subject to pride and greed and um, ignorance and lack of compassion for one another and who don't understand each other's hearts and we see only with the outward appearances. And we don't actually know what each other needs unless we take the time and do the work to know one another well. Um, and so image of a cycle being interrupted or broken so that it can't hold what it could hold. Otherwise you break up the cycle of the family, you break up natural human interaction, you break up even our, our respect and understanding of nature and its cycles and working in harmony with it instead of against it. I mean, truly that disruption causes the container not to be able to hold itself or to be able to regenerate. It's a broken container. Yeah. Container. Um, yeah. So, so if we attach to one another and demand these things of one another that we are not actually capable of giving, that sounds, um, that's a scary world. To it is. It's a scary world. It's, you know, we see it if our children are, are greedy with one another or, you know, grubby or, you know, contentious and forget that whatever the thing they're holding on to and that they love so much and that they want to keep their sibling from getting was something that was given to them by God, that sort of humility, you know, and, and I, you know, you hear it in the language of certain, you know, socialists, um, politicians they talk about oh you didn't make that road you didn't make that road that you, you your business profited from it's like well but other people who had profitable businesses had their money stolen from them to make that road why is it suddenly owned by the government and therefore they own more of my business like <laughs> why and then they get to decide when to increase the taxes and steal more just because they said so <laughs> to make more roads that I will use for my benefit and they for theirs. Like <laughs> we, we get into trouble. <laughs> um, and anyway, so yeah, so communism is saying you all will fulfill my needs. Right. And, and we, yeah, when we think about what of our, our deepest needs are, our deepest need is for love and love cannot be stolen anytime a need is when we grasp to steal something, we don't actually get what we want. That book that I mentioned last episode, Real Love by Greg Bear, he talks about how this example of a man who goes through this 
this guy who's baking bread for him every day and he goes and get the loaf and he kind of tries to do these sort of he tries to get the loaf by acting a victim like oh i really this thing happened to me or you know this and that blah 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 or and so he coerces a loaf from the man but what this man who continues to go to this this baker for bread doesn't realize is that every day the baker had made loaves including one for him and was always planning to give it for free as a free gift offering but because the man always went and demanded or or played a victim and i think the victimization thing is huge in communism and, and feeding into those kind of natural desires and worries he could never actually enjoy the gift that would have been given for free that would have been given as as an offering of love he can't we literally can't comprehend love if we're trying to thieve it it's not a possibility for us to enjoy and actually get the thing that we need when we had to steal it to get it wow so that's a rejection of what is too, right? A rejection of what is and what is real and true and self-evident is a rejection of God. Right. And I think that there is a sense in which, you know, communism demands that the state become your God mm -hmm. because you are going to give all of your effort, all of your time, you know, and, and what is, what is the first commandment? You know, love the Lord thy God, have no other gods before me. Like, we can't if 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 it means to if to love god means to serve him and to serve him means to give your life and your effort and your dedication and your work then you can't simultaneously give it to god and to the state who demands it under penalty of death so that's going to be a hard thing for people to hear because um a lot of people think that there should be no difference between our allegiance to the state and God and a lot of people love America so much, for example, that that feels a little blas like blasphemy. Like what? What? I can't be a lead. I can't have allegiance to my country and to God. How does that work, Nance? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, I think I think it it goes down to a, a, an idea of competition. You know, like a, a true God doesn't need anything from you um whereas you know a, like god doesn't need anything from us he's actually does though well in the sense that he would stop being god if we didn't give anything to him no he he's god because he he has perfectly embodied the law but um jordan peterson had a podcast once where he was talking about what does someone without limitation need? Does someone with limitation, <laughs> like God, right? Like I am not a mother without a child. Sure. God is not God without children. Like that is what God does. That is his glory and his work and, and raising up children and helping to teach them things that he knows is his glory, is his work and his glory. So if he has no, well, I think, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say God has no limitations. I think God is in perfect harmony with everything that is. And, and in doing that, he has inconceivable power. Um, it's not that he's outside the law. He is the law. Like he's embodied it perfectly. Right. And, and 
in that perfect embodiment of law, he doesn't demand anything of us either. Like there's no demand. And so I guess maybe that's a better way of putting it that not that he doesn't need anything, but he doesn't demand anything of us. Like he, he will go on continuing to be God in perfect harmony with every true principle in law, whether we join him in that or not. Whereas the state, if we do not join the state in devotion and uh, rule following and taxation and compliance, it will cease to be the state. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, in that sense, there's, there is a competition and the state is, I mean, I'm talking the state as in a political body, uh, an, an entity of, of civilization, um, not necessarily the particular state you live in. But if we're going to use some examples or illustrations, the particular state that I live in um, is trying to pass laws that make the state more and more in charge of what happens to the individual and supplanting the parent as the one who should be making those choices. Right. The one who's actually responsible to make the choices of what does my child learn? Yep. What, what is being taught to my child? Um, and I, I opt out of that system. I choose to educate my children according to what is in my, you know, I, I would see that as my stewardship. That's my job to teach my child. Um, and so, but I still, I still don't think that it's acceptable if we want, if we want harmony and a good rule of law, we don't let the state take that power in supplanting the parent and, and making us attach instead to itself, instead of to a, a true good line of authority of parent to child and parent to, to God and true principles. Well, and I think maybe this will be a discussion for another time about how the education system as it stands uh, also disconnects us from our, our God-given missions and passions, how it, it disconnects us from proper allegiance. That, I think that will be another episode that we can do. I think this one's about wrapped up. Yes, yes. So whatever, wherever our allegiance is, that's who we worship. And communism demands total allegiance, or it doesn't work, right? I mean, it's according to function of the thing. And well, it, it demands it from one another who are ultimately incapable of providing it. Yes. And so anything that we put our trust in that is not capable to provide is a false god. It's an idol. Right. And which is why peer attachment creates eternal children. Yes. Instead of instead of a development, right? Where we do yeah. this cycle of parenthood and, and children and grandchildren and regeneration. It's fruitlessness. Like I don't plant a seed in the ground, hoping that it will always just stay a seed in the ground so that I can take care of it. Right. I hope that it will grow more fruit that will have more seeds that can grow more of their own thing. And increase the abundance and the connectedness between each other that's natural and organic. I mean, when you think about all of the communistic agenda stuff, and when we say communism, we mean socialism, like any statism really, but globalism is kind of where this is going. And you can see the United Nations 
gathering and their UN goals for 2030 and like this G20 faith summit. Wow, that was creepy. And, um, you know, these sustainable development goals. These when, when the water cycle has been sustainable for what, what some scientists say is millions of years and other scientists say is thousands of years. Really? We're, we're in charge? We can make that happen or stop that from happening? Well, I actually do think we have disrupted some of that. So that might be a discussion for another time on the environmental front. Sure. I'm really passionate about environmentalism. And I think that... Ism? Ism? Well, environmentalism, not... Well, I'm, I'm passionate I'm about poking. agriculture <laughs> and regenerative agriculture and doing things that work. <laughs> but they're, they're finding unnatural solutions instead of looking to nature and understanding its patterns and cycles and where we have disrespected and didn't understand that like for me the true solutions are going to be found in what is and what is uh what has already been working like the way that a forest operates like the fact that california is burning down like hell every single summer is due to the fact that they chopped down all the forests along the ocean coast they chopped them all down for their big old mansions right on the beach it's created a risk because having all the forest there actually sends up um, the bacteria from the trees and stuff into the clouds to be able to create rain and conditions. And you know, the trees prevent erosion in the soil. It's like this beautiful thing. So they've cut those out and it actually has created the conditions for drought and for fire. So I do think we can have an effect on the environment. You go up to the Oregon coast, I mean, they've got trees right up to the beach. And, and their system is functioning so much better than it does in California. Um, and it's just a political border. It's a political border because There's they care about the environment miles. in Oregon yeah. and Washington. And they, I, it's, it's kind of interesting because California gives lip service to environmentalism, but they've made some choices that don't actually protect it in the same way. So what works, what doesn't work? And looking at natural systems, which is kind of where we're coming back to, right? Natural law, natural family relationships. We cut that out. The state is going to swoop in and try to provide its solutions, which cannot work and do not work and have proven to be the most uh, destructive, murderous, <laughs> murderous, yeah. In, in the history of humanity, I mean, yeah, we all die at some point, so we can just relax about that, but it's more people have died <laughs> from communism than any other uh, war that we've ever had. And, and I, I'm not a huge proponent of war either, um, though that is an interesting concept. So yeah. You replace God, you replace what is true, you break up natural cycles and natural law principles, and you will see disruption and peer attachment. You will see the battle between the peers trying to prove themselves. You will see competition emerge. And that's gonna make us, we're gonna need to have another discussion about capitalism also, Nancy, because capitalism is a problem too. Ism, ism, ism. If you stick so, an ism on it, there's something to, there's something to critique. Yeah. Okay. This was fun. Have a good day thinking about good things on Liberty's Live and be more free today than you ever have been. Yay. Yay. Bye. Bye.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Liberties Live. Join us next week for a fresh and relevant discussion on how to live whole and be free.